is Camilla, and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Welcome back to the Cat's Whisker, everyone. This is Camilla, and today I'm going to cover a very, very special artist. If you are a child of the 90s like me, you've probably listened to Carol King for the first time when Gilmore Girls was on telly because her phenomenal song, Where You Lead, was the theme song to the series. I didn't even know who she was at the time, but when I started loving rock and roll, I discovered that Where You Lead comes from Tapestry, one of the most celebrated albums of all time, and that Carol King is the genius behind some of the greatest songs of the 60s and 70s. And since this week we're celebrating both her birthday and Tapestry's 52nd anniversary, I thought I'd tell you all about probably one of the most famous singer-songwriters in the history of rock and roll. Her life began as Carol Joan Klein in Brooklyn, New York on February the 9th, 1942, in a house where she was lucky enough to feel like she could become whatever she wanted. Her mom in particular passed down to her the passion for music and especially piano that Carol already knew how to play when she was only four years old. In an era where girls were mostly trained to become wives and mothers, having parents that told her she could be whatever she wanted to be made her quite confident of her gift for music. And her parents were very proud of it. Her dad, for example, loved showing off her daughter's perfect pitch. Growing up, she was a bit of a tomboy, but everyone in school wanted to be her friend. Not because she was the prettiest or the most popular kid in school, but because she's always been very assertive. She just wanted to write songs and be respected for that. When she was in high school, Carol founded her first band, The Cosigns, from a definition she read on her math book. She also decided to change her name, and that's how Klein became King. But it was in college that she finally met her match. Because these are the years where Paul Simon, Neil Sedaka, Jerry Goffin and Carol King happened to attend the same school in Queens. They would all go on to become songwriters. They were all just waiting to get somewhere very badly. And by their own admission, that was a lucky time. A time where you could go to the 1650 Broadway or the Brill Building in New York, just sit down, play your song at the piano and have someone tell you, hey, good job kid, I'll give you $25 for that song. The era of singer-songwriters was still far away, but as rock and roll was emerging very, very fast, the demand for a constant stream of new songs made being a songwriter very exciting and profitable. And while she was in school, King dated the young Neil Sedaka for a short time before leaving him for Jerry Goffin, who then became her husband. And well, if you've ever heard Neil Sedaka's 1959 hit, Oh Carol, now you know which Carol he was talking about. Not many know, though, that Jerry Goffin, that actually married King in that same year, wrote a playful response, Oh Neil, a single released by Carol King that unfortunately didn't get as famous as Sedaka's one. King and Goffin, as we were saying, got married, and they were very young. He was 20 and she was only 17, and pregnant with their daughter Louise. They started out like many families in the 50s and 60s. Carol would stay at home, taking care of the baby, sometimes working as a secretary, and Jerry would have a 9-to-5 job as a chemist. 
Their partnership, though, was everything but conventional. Because in the evening, when they were both home, they would write songs together. King was usually in charge of the music and Goffin was the lyricist. One day she was home, taking care of the baby, sat at the piano and wrote a melody that she left there. In the evening, when she was out playing cards with her auntie, Goffin found the song and added words to it. Little did they know that that song they wrote in a day of their 9 to 5 lives would be their breakthrough. Carol was 19 and Jerry was 22 when they wrote Will You Love Me Tomorrow, a hit for the Shirelles that, thanks to the song, became the first ever female group to score a number one in the United States. Will You Love Me Tomorrow was so successful that they both decided to quit their 9 to 5 jobs and concentrate on music full time. They started working for Don Kirshner at Dimension Records, where basically they wrote songs to order. They would sit in a cubicle with a piano and a million selling record would be ready in 20 minutes. And that same 1961, they cranked out many beautiful songs. And I would probably go on forever if I had to give you a full list, but just know that between them there were Bobby V's number one hit, Take Good Care of My Baby, and Don't Ever Change for the Crickets, that reached number five in the UK and will also be recorded by the Beatles in their Live at the BBC sessions. And talking about the Beatles, it's no mystery that the Fab Four really respected King and Goffin's songwriting. So much so that John Lennon actually said that he wanted Lennon and McCartney to become the English King and Goffin. And it's surely because of this admiration that the Beatles recorded a cover of Chains for the first album, Please Please Me, Chains that had obviously been penned by Goffin and King, was originally sung by the Cookies in 1962. But it wasn't the only composition covered by the Beatles. In Live at the BBC they played another Goffin King record, Keep Your Hands Off My Baby, that originally was Little Eva's second hit. And here's an interesting tidbit. Carol King and Jerry Goffin met Little Eva, whose real name was Eva Boyd, through the Cookies, the band they wrote chains for. Eva's first job for the couple, though, wasn't really that glamorous. With all the time they spent in the studio, they needed someone to look after their daughter. And that's why they hired Eva Boyd. She was the babysitter. And then they made her a star. Yes, you've heard me right. She was so bad as a babysitter that they decided to find her another job. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm joking, but it's partly true. As soon as they hired her and heard her singing voice while she was doing chores around the house, they decided to write a song and asked Eva Boyd to record a demo. And when singer Dee Dee Sharp turned it down, Boyd changed her name to Little Eva and had a number one hit with her song, The Locomotion. It was so successful that she had to come up with a dance that for a little while was even more popular than the twist. The couple would go on to write other hits that climbed the charts, such as Open the Roof for the Drifters in 1962, I Can't Stay Mad at You for Skeeter Davis, and One Fine Day for the Chiffon in 1963, alongside other songs for the Cookies, Little Eva and other relevant artists. In 1964, the couple, though, started to grow apart romantically. Goffin was frequently cheated on King, and he wouldn't even tell her about it before doing it. As a songwriting duo, though, the two remained surprisingly pretty solid. During the last years of their partnership, they penned records like I'm Into Something Good, made famous by Herman's Hermit, but originally written for Earl Jean, member of the Cookies. And interestingly enough, the year the song became famous, Earl Jean and Jerry Goffin had a daughter together while he was still working with King. Mm. But again, their business relationship produced other songs like Just Once in My Life by the Righteous Brothers, Don't Bring Me Down, For the Animals and a few songs for the monkeys. 
One of those songs, Pleasant Valley Sunday, was actually emblematic of the period Goffin and King were living. In fact, after living for years in the exciting and frantic city that never sleeps, King felt like she needed some peace and the family decided to move to the suburbs in New Jersey. She just probably wanted to live a normal life. The normal life that usually people born with that genius are not used to live. But that didn't last long. The new life made it clear once and for all. Goffin and King didn't want the same things anymore. This finally ended their romantic and business relationship. Their last success, though, was going to be timeless. A song that reached number 8 in the charts, but that will always be an evergreen and a staple made famous by the one and only Aretha Franklin. I'm talking about the 1967 You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. When Carole King found a new life in California, she probably didn't know that she was also about to find her own voice. She was in the perfect place, after all, Laurel Canyon. That's where the rock counterculture was blooming. Artists like King, Johnny Mitchell, James Taylor, Cass Elliot, Neil Young, Jim Morrison and many others were living in the same place. And in this exciting setting, Carole King forms a new band. The city was a trio. King on piano and vocals, David Kochmar on guitar and Charles Leike, her future second husband, on bass. The first and only album published in 1968 is called Now That Everything's Been Said. The record didn't really sell well and went mostly unnoticed because of a very big problem that had affected King's career up until that moment, stage fright. A fear that she gradually overcomes when, after all these projects, she finally finds her voice and artistic independence, especially thanks to James Taylor, that became a very special friend and pushed for her to go solo. In that community of artists, King got very close to him, Joni Mitchell and her new songwriting partner, poet Tony Stern. That's what she said about them. Tony was a wonderful help with the transition from writing with Jerry to writing songs on my own. I didn't have the courage initially. James inspired me a lot. I write heavily under the influence of James Taylor. In 1970, King publishes Writer, her very first solo album. That wasn't the first time she published as a solo artist though. She had already recorded songs in the 60s and some of them had actually reached a good position in the charts like the 1962 It Might As Well Rain Until September. And while the 60s had been her songwriting era, the 70s definitely opened a new door for her to become one of the most successful singer-songwriters of all time. Only a year after writer, in fact, King published her masterpiece, Tapestry. An album recorded in three weeks, fruit of a nearly magical collaboration between the Laurel Canyon artists, while Joni Mitchell and the Carpenters were working in different rooms. The atmosphere was electric and warm. Some of the musicians were actually recording on each other's albums. On Tapestry, for example, many of the backing vocals or guitar tracks were provided by Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. They were all friends and the simplicity yet genius behind Tapestry delivers the pleasure of the collaboration between these talents that happen to live in the same place at the same time. And even now, more than 50 years later, we can still witness that cozy feeling when we listen to those songs. The musicians all in semicircle, around King, only waiting for her lead. The songs are so good and simple that we have the feeling they must have always sounded like that since the demos. Most of them, like Where You Lead or It's Too Late, are written by Tony Stern and Carol King together. But many hits were actually penned by King alone. Between her solo efforts on the album we can find I Feel the Earth Move, Tapestry, Beautiful, and a song she dedicated to James Taylor, and then even recorded by him, 
the famous You've Got a Friend. His version was actually released even before her version and interestingly enough, they both charted quite well in the same period. Tapestry also included her versions of Will You Love Me Tomorrow and Natural Woman, two of her most beautiful songs. Her great and slow renditions are definitely heartfelt and are an amazing way to make peace between her past and her present. The album instantly became a success. It sold 30 million copies worldwide. It was the right moment for America and the world to listen to those songs and hear those words. It was the end of the 60s, the era that probably carried the most hopes, shattered by the Vietnam War. Singer-songwriters became the people who would finally speak the truth. And a singer-songwriter like Carole King, that makes you feel like she's talking directly to you, definitely touched some strings that the world was ready to explore. And that's why it became really important for people like her to be able to perform live. And her friend James Taylor knew it very well. She was touring with him at some point and he did something that any friend would kill you for. He told her to perform a song on his set list that happened to be Open the Roof, that obviously she knew really well because she, she had written it. But she had never rehearsed the song and never performed it live. But when James Taylor on stage announced the performance and told everyone in the audience that they were going to see her first attempt at the song, that made everyone instantly love her. And she decided that she was going to do it. In that moment, she overcame her stage fright and started feeling more comfortable. She then even performed in Central Park in 1973 in front of 100,000 people. As we were saying, Tapestry was an absolute success. It has been certified platinum 14 times and in 1972, it won four Grammys. Album of the Year, Vocal Performance of the Year, Record of the Year with It's Too Late and Song of the Year with You've Got a Friend. And she has been the first woman to win different Grammys in different categories. The album spent 15 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 and stayed in the charts for 302 consecutive weeks. Yes, you've heard me right. It spent six years in the charts. And before Adele broke that record with her 21, Carole King has been for over 40 years the female solo artist that spent the longest consecutive times in the charts. And even in 2020, decades after its publication, Tapestry ranked 25th on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. In the years that followed, King continued her collaboration with James Taylor and worked with notable musicians such as Graham Nash, David Crosby, B.B. King and Eric Clapton. She released other albums, songs and obviously wrote for others, but nothing would ever be as successful as Tapestry. In the course of her life, she remarried different times and relocated to Idaho with her third husband, Rick Evers, at the end of the 70s. And even when their relationship fell apart for his abusive behavior, Carol never left Idaho and finally found a place where she feels in peace. And as we were saying at the beginning, one of her songs from Tapestry, Where You Lead, was then used for the series Gilmore Girls. King admitted that in the past, she really struggled to feel comfortable with that song because of its lyrics. They talked about a woman that stands with her man no matter what. But probably because of her life story, the words didn't feel like something that belonged to her anymore. But when it was chosen for the show, King decided to rewrite the lyrics and make the song about a beautiful mother and daughter relationship and sing it with her daughter Louise. And if you've watched the series, you must have noticed that King also plays Sophie, the owner of the music shop in Stars Hollow. 
But what you probably haven't noticed though is Louise Goffin, King's daughter, playing the second town's troubadour. King's story has also been the subject of a famous production on Broadway, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, that ran from 2014 to 2019, making it one of the longest running shows on Broadway. During her career, she had 17 number one hits and has written more than 400 songs for more than 100 artists. Carol King still appears in public and performs sporadically, and she's also been inducted both in the Songwriters and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2013, she's been the fifth recipient and first woman to receive the prestigious Library of Congress Gershwin Prize for Popular Music, handed to the winner by the President of the United States. But music isn't her only passion. After living so many years in Idaho, she is very dedicated to environmental activism to preserve the Northern Rockies ecosystem. When Carol King was a teenager, she walked into Atlantic Records and asked Don Costa, is anyone available to listen to my songs? And from that moment on, her artistry and personality showed musicians and women all over the world to fight for their right to be heard. Carol King is a woman that over the years spoke to many different generations and even when times changed, she always found the right words to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. I was absolutely thrilled to actually talk to you about this specific artist, the first woman I actually covered in this podcast, and it had to be a very special woman. But don't worry, because she's not going to be the only one. And if you always want to be updated with my content, you can follow me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker Podcast and on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Ciao!